Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 196 of GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach which revealed children's personal data at Cornwall Council. We then travelled to Worcestershire, where Worcestershire Children's Services have had a data breach. We then travelled to Jersey, where the States of Jersey Information Commissioner has released their annual report. And then we then travelled to Ireland, where the International Council for Civil Liberties reports highlights of a vast scale of real-time billing potential data breaches. We then returned to the UK, where an industry report warns pension trustees of the risk to data. We then travelled to Ukraine, where Ukraine vigilantes now have a DDoS bot to automate cyber attacks against Russia. We then return to Belgium, where the EDPB has issued guidance on the calculation of GDPR penalties. We then return to the UK, where Google is facing a lawsuit for NHS patient data breach. We then travel to the USA to look at how the USA are handling their whole issue of data protection impact assessments. We then return to the UK and we have news of the state agents who are using WhatsApp to contact would-be house buyers and house sellers, but who aren't complying with GDPR when they do so. We then travel to Spain, where the Spanish regulator has slapped Google with a fine over not applying right to be forgotten correctly. And we then travel to the USA, where the CISA says that the latest VMware patches are mandatory for federal agencies. We then return to the UK and the British Computer Society has had its say on the forthcoming data reform bill. And then back to America where Elephant Insurance had a data breach. We then travel across America to Chicago where Chicago Public Schools and Battelle for Kids have had a data breach. And then finally this week we are in the Netherlands where Dutch online pharmacies have been found to not be compliant with GDPR. So there's always a mixed range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We always value your feedback, so if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. And we are aware now that we're only four weeks away from our 200th episode, so it'd be great to have some feedback from you on what you've really enjoyed about the GDPR Weekly Show, or what you haven't enjoyed. And we can include some of those in our 200th episode to bring feedback back to you. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Cornwall Council has accidentally published the personal details of five school children in publicly accessible meeting documents. Cornwall Council has apologised for the data breach, which included the children's names, addresses and dates of birth. It made the error when it published online documents for a meeting of its school transport appeals committee. The council said it was published in full on the council's website as a result of human error. The meeting was scheduled for Monday this week to discuss appeals made by parents in relation to school transport for their children, included in the documents for children's names, schools, home addresses and dates of birth. In one case, the documents also include details of a teenager's own personal mobile number and email address. In addition, the paperwork included the names, addresses, email addresses and phone numbers for each of the children's parents. Among the published documents were an education, health and care plan for one of the children and an extract from a court document. The council said it made a formal apology to the families affected and said a report which should have been only available to elected members on the school transport appeal committee was published in full on the council's website as a result of human error. 
The report contained personal data belonging to five children and their families in relation to their school transport appeals. As soon as the council became aware, the information was removed from the website and the families concerned were informed and offered a full apology. The council has notified the information to Mr's office and said it will fully cooperate with any formal investigation. In a statement, Cornwall Council said, Every incident of data loss is treated extremely seriously and thoroughly investigated to minimise any possible harm and to find ways of preventing it happening again. If we receive any update on this from Cornwall Council or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you right here on the next episode of the GPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Worcestershire now and special educational needs and disabled families have been warned of a data breach affecting the service in charge of children and young people in Worcestershire. A number of parents have received a letter from Worcestershire Children First warning it has been affected by a breach of sensitive information from SEND services across the county. Tina Russell, Director of Children's Services at Worcestershire Town Council said, I can confirm there's been a data breach in SEND services. I'm extremely disappointed this has happened and I've written directly to all the parents affected to apologise. I fully appreciate the effect this will have on those and other parents who will be looking for assurances that the impact of this has been managed and a reoccurrence minimised. The breach has been referred to the Information Commissioner's Office and we've taken action internally across Worcestershire Children First. It is not known at this time how many families were affected by the breach or what information was affected. If we receive any further information from Worcestershire County Council, we will respond to you in the next available episode of the GDP Public Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Jersey now, and an annual report focusing on data protection and security has been published. The Jersey Office of the Information Commissioner controls how data is used in the island to make sure personal information is safe, rather like the ICO here in the UK. The report said that in 2021, the Information Commissioner had dealt with 90 complaints, 26 of which were about public sector bodies and 14 about financial organisations. There were more than 200 self-reported data breaches that were investigated. The report found that the highest complaint was personal information being shared when it shouldn't have been. Chair of the Jersey Data Protection Authority, Jacob Tonston, said in the report that it was important to recognise data protection as a fundamental human right. He said, our authority works a lot with businesses to ensure they have the appropriate policies, procedures and technical and organisational measures in place to protect the personal data they hold about their customers. However, it's our intention to focus more on citizens to provide them with the necessary tools and education to better protect their own personal data. New data about the real-time billing system's use of web users' info for tracking and ad targeting was released on Monday this week by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, the ICCL. The data suggests that Google and other key players in the high-velocity surveillance-based ad auction system are posted in passing people's data billions of times every day. The ICCL argues that real-time bidding is the biggest data breach ever recorded. It tracks and shares what people view online in their real-world location 294 billion times in the USA and 197 billion times in Europe every day. The ICCL's report, which is based on industry figures that the rights organisation says it obtained from a confidential source, offers an estimate of real-time bidding per person per day across US states and European countries, which suggests that web users in Colorado and the UK are among the most exposed by the system, with 987 of 462 real-time bidding broadcasts apiece per person per day. But even online individuals living at the bottom of the chart in the District of Columbia or in the country of Romania have their information exposed by real-time bidding estimated 486 times per day or 149 times per day respectively. 
The ICCL calculates that people living in the US have their online activity in real-world locations exposed 57% more often than people in Europe, likely as a result of differences in privacy regulation across the two regions. Collectively, the ICCL estimates that US internet users' online behaviour and locations are tracked and shared 107 trillion times per year, while Europeans' data is exposed 7.1 trillion times a year. The ICCL say, on average, a person in the US has their online activity and notation exposed 740 times every day by the real-time bidding industry. In Europe, real-time bidding exposes people's data 376 times every day. It said, Europeans and US internet users' private data are sent to firms across the globe, including those in Russia and China, without any means of controlling what is then done with the data. The report's figures are likely to be a conservative estimate of the full extent of real-time bidding, since the ICCL includes the caveat that the figures presented for real-time bidding broadcasts are a low estimate. The industry figures on which we rely do not include Facebook or Amazon real-time bidding broadcasts. According to the report, Google, the biggest player in the real-time bidding system, allows 4,698 companies to receive real-time bidding data about people in the US, while Microsoft, which ramped up its involvement in real-time bidding in December last year when it bought ad tech firm Exander from AT&T, says it may send data to 1,647 companies. Both of those figures, too, are likely to be the tip of the iceberg since real-time bidding data is broadcast across the internet, meaning it's ripe for interception and exploitation by non-officially listed real-time bidding partners, such as data brokers whose businesses involve people farming, by compiling dossiers of data to re-identify and profile individual web users for profit, using info like device IDs, device fingerprinting, location, etc., to link web activity to a named individual. Privacy and security concerns have been raised about real-time bidding for years, and of course you've heard us mention it here several times in the last year on the GDPR Weekly Show. Especially in Europe, where there are laws in place, GDPR, that are supposed to prevent such a systematic abuse of people's information. But awareness of the issue has been rising in the USA too, following a number of location tracking and data sharing scandals. Now, it can be, you know, widespread, or it can be, of course, individuals affected. For example, last year, a top Catholic priest in the USA was reported to have resigned after allegations were made about his sexuality based on a claim that data on his phone had been obtained which indicated use of the location-based gay hookup app Grinder. A lack of online privacy could also negatively impinge on women's health issues, making it easier to gather information to criminalise pregnant people who seek an abortion in the post-row world, especially, of course, in the USA. The ICCL and the report says there's no way to restrict the use of real-time bidding data after its broadcast. Data brokers use it to profile Black Lives Matter protesters. The US Department of Homeland Security and other agencies use it for warrantless phone tracking. The report raises especially cutting questions for the EDPB and other European regulators, since unlike the US, the region has a comprehensive data protection framework. An investigation opened by the Irish DPC, the Data Protection Commission, into Doodle's ad tech three years ago, following a number of real-time bidding complaints, is ostensibly still ongoing, but no decision has been issued. Here in the UK, the outgoing information commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, as one of her final statements, urged the real-time bidding industry to undertake meaningful privacy reforms. Since then, IAB Europe's self-style transparency and consent framework has itself been found in breach of GDPR by the Belgian Data Protection Authority. Since then, the IAB Europe's self-styled Transparency and Consent Framework, the TCF, has itself been found in breach of GDPR by Belgium's Data Protection Authority, and we reported on this fully back in episode 113 of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
Further to that, in February 2022, the Belgian DPA found the IAB itself at fault, giving the industry body two months to submit a reform plan and six months to implement it. That consent issue is one solid complaint against real-time bidding under GDPR. However, the ICCL's concern has been focused on security, as it argues that high-velocity, massive-scale trading of people's data to place ads by broadcasting over the internet to thousands of partners, but also with the clear risk of interception and appropriation by stores of unknown others, is inherently insecure. And regardless of consent, the GDPR requires people's information is adequately protected. In March, the ICCL announced it intended to sue the Irish Data Protection Commission, accusing the regulator of years of inaction over real-time bidding complaints, some of which were lodged the same year the GDPR came into application. That legislation is still pending. It has also approached the EU Ombudsman to complain the European Commission is failing to properly monitor applications of the regulation, which led the former opening inquiry to look at Commission's claims to the contrary earlier this year. A requested deadline for the EU's executive to submit information to the Ombudsman passed yesterday without any submission, the ICCL say, with the Commission reportedly asking for 10 more days to provide the requested data, which suggests a four-year anniversary of GDPR coming into force, May the 25th, will pass by in the meanwhile, perhaps a little more quietly than it might have done the Ombudsman had been in a position to issue a verdict. Johnny Ryan, senior fellow at the ICCL, said, As we approach the four-year anniversary of GDPR, we release data on the biggest data breach of all time, and it's an indictment of the European Commission, and in particular Commissioner Didier Reinders, that this data breach is repeated every day. It's time that the Commission does its job and compels Ireland to apply GDPR correctly. A Google spokesperson said, Google sets industry-leading safeguards on the use of data for real-time bidding with stringent restrictions on how data is shared with advertisers. We don't share personally identifiable information, and we also don't show ads based on sensitive information, such as health, race or religion. We require publishers to prove their people's consent before showing any personalised ads, and we've done this for many years. We continue to invest in new technologies like the Privacy Sandbox to build privacy fraud advertising solutions that help eliminate tracking across the web. Johnny Ryan said the ICCL is also writing to US lawmakers to highlight the scale of the privacy crisis in online advertising, and specifically pressing the Senate Subcommittee on Competition Policy, Antitrust and Consumer Rights to ensure adequate enforcement resources are provided to the FTC so that it can take urgent action against this enormous breach. The ICCL points out that the private data on US citizens is sent to firms across the globe, including to Russia and China, without any means of controlling what is then done with the data. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has fueled added concern about ad tech's mass surveillance of web users, i.e. if citizens' data is finding its way back by online tracking to hostile third countries like Russia and its ally China. Back in March, the Financial Times here in the UK reported that stores of apps containing SDK technology made by the Russian search giant Yandex, which was due to sending user data back to servers in Russia, where it might be accessible to the Russian government. In Europe, GDPR requires that exports of personal data out of Europe are protected. The same standard of citizens' information should be wrapped with when it's being processed or stored in Europe, using the standard contractual clauses, as we've discussed many times here on the GDPR Weekly Show. So the ad tech battle rages on and on, and we will continue to bring you updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Here in the UK, pension trustees have been urged to be vigilant after businesses experienced an increase in cyber attacks and data breaches over the past year, as cyber criminals upped their game during the shift towards hybrid working. According to the Real Economy report published by RSM, 
27% of middle market businesses have experienced a cyber attack in the past year, up from 20% in 2021. Meanwhile, the proportion of businesses that reported a data breach has increased from 13% in 2021 to 34% this year. While the research findings are based on business in general, Ian Bow, head of pensions at ISM, said he'd be very surprised if the numbers were not similar for the pension sector and those trustees to take notice and act before they were targeted by criminals. The pandemic has led to higher cyber criminal activity in returns of people working remotely, and the checks and balances and controls in place are probably not as good as they would be if everyone was working in the office, he said. One of the things we typically tell pension trustees to address is where you have independent trustees that are using their own email addresses instead of using corporate email addresses so that they're relying on their quite weak home systems when it comes to cyber threats. Trustees can be a target because they're responsible for some very valuable member data. Bell went on to say, trustees tend to argue that member data does not go through their emails, but that's not typically true because once cyber criminals work out what an individual does, such as a chair of trustees, they can piece together how they then want to take advantage of that. For example, criminals can launch a whaling attack where they hack into the trustee's email address and pretend to be that individual. They can then use that email address to contact other trustees to contact scheme management to try to instead a transaction and extract funds from the pension scheme. According to the ICO, ransomware attacks, where hackers either steal or encrypt data that they hold business to ransom for, doubled in 2021 since the COVID-19 pandemic. Meanwhile, ransomware is now even available to buy as a service in some countries. In terms of ransomware, the typical target for ransomware would be pension scheme administrators or in-house scheme administrators. Ian Bell said that that is because if a ransomware attack was successful, that would prevent them administering the pension for thousands of people and therefore someone would have to pay the ransom to get their back. While he said he has no knowledge of this happening so far in the pension industry, he said he's been suspicious at times as to why administrative systems have gone down. Despite the increased risk of ransomware attacks, the number of businesses that felt they are very likely to fall victim to a ransomware attack has fallen from 34% to just 24% in one year. Mr Bell pointed out that one of the problems is when it comes to transparency on instances of ransomware in the pension industry. If insurance policies are paid out on the back of a ransomware attack, companies are not allowed to share that data. The information is not freely available, and if it was, it would be useful to the retail trustees that this is a very real risk, he said. RSM issued a Freedom of Information request to the pensions regulator to get its views on availability of data in the pension sector, but the pensions regulator said in its online response that it does not have access to that data. The regulator will tell trustees in its new code of conduct later this year they need to be aware of cyber risks and the sort of data they hold on behalf of their members and how it needs to be protected. To Ukraine now, and Ukraine's unofficial army of IT vigilantes has developed a new automated attack tool to increase the effectiveness of its cyber attacks against Russian domains. The attack automation bot was built to help more people easily launch distributed denial of service (DDoS) cyber attacks against Russia. The new tool encourages individuals to donate their cloud resources to the bot, which is capable of launching a coordinated attack from all available servers. To run all our attacks at the same time, we recommend to use our new DDoS bot, the group said on its website. All you need is to send credentials to your servers to our bot and check how the attack is going via Telegram. Should they wish to, supporters are also encouraged to purchase and share the credentials new servers we bought for the sole purpose of strengthening the botnet's attack. The organised group of cyber-savvy individuals who want to actively support Ukraine from afar has been growing in number since the start of the war. The group is assembled on Telegram, and currently has more than 270,000 members. The group's members are fed instructions by leaders on a daily basis, complete with IP addresses, specific ports and web domains, 
that need to be targeted to disrupt the Russian regime as the war continues. Past targets have included media organizations, banks, airlines and app stores. Russian cyber attacks against Ukraine have been large and sustained, starting weeks before the war broke out. The Five Eye Intelligence Alliance confirmed this week that it believed with a high degree of confidence that Russia was behind the attacks on Ukraine in the early stages of the war. The attacks on Ukrainian government websites in January, which also involved the use of the destructive Whispergate wiper malware, were attributed to Russia's military intelligence service, the GRU, as was the 24th of February attack on communications company Viasat. The attack on Viasat was conducted one hour before the Russian invasion of Ukraine became official, and it was later revealed to have had effects in wider Europe, as wind farms and individual internet users outside of Ukraine also suffered outages. The collateral effects of the Viasat attack were the most visible examples of the spillover effects many experts believe would affect Europe in the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. Russia has a history of launching devastating attacks against Ukraine, dating back many years. Some of the most significant incidents have involved the use of Petia malware and repeated targeting of the country's power grid, firstly in 2015, then again in 2016, and most recently in April 2022. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. On May the 16th, 2022, the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, published draft regulatory guidelines on the calculation of administrative fines for infringements of GDPR. In the draft guidance, the EDPB sets out its methodology consisting of five steps for calculating administrative fines. The EDPB adopted its guidelines to harmonise methodology that data protection authorities should use when calculating the fines. The fines relate to Article 83 of GDPR and Article 83, Paragraph 1, requires data protection authorities to ensure that the imposition of administrative fines is in each individual case effective, proportionate and dissuasive. When deciding on the amount of a specific fine, the authorities need to give due regard to the list of circumstances that refers to features of the infringement, the intentional or negligent character of the infringement, and any relevant previous infringements by the controller or processor. The amount of the fine cannot exceed the maximum amounts provided for in Articles 83, Paragraphs 4 to 6 of GDPR. So what the EDPB has now suggested is a five-step methodology to calculate the fine. They're saying, firstly, identify the process and operations and evaluate the application of Article 83, Paragraph 3 of GDPR. The Data Protection Authority should consider what conduct and infringements trigger the imposition of a fine. Article 83, Paragraph 3 specifies that if a controller or processor infringes several GDPR provisions by the same or linked processing operations, the total amount of the administrative fine cannot exceed the maximum amount that applies to the most serious infringement. The EDPB further points out that it's important to establish whether or not the circumstances are to be considered as one or multiple sanctional conducts. In the case of one conduct, whether or not this conduct gives rise to one or more infringements, and in the case of one conduct that gives rise to multiple infringements, whether or not it would be lawful to find the offender for the same wrongdoing twice. So that's step one. Step two, they say, is find the starting point for calculating the fine. In order to determine the right starting point for calculating the effective, dissuasive and proportionate fine, EDPB, this is the data protection authority should take into account the following three elements. Firstly, the categorization of infringements by nature under Article 83, paragraphs 4 to 6 of GDPR, i.e. whether the infringement falls in the lower tier of infringements, which are listed in Article 83, paragraph 4, or within the higher tier of infringements, listed in Article 83, paragraphs 5 and 6. The seriousness of the infringement taking into account certain circumstances listed in Article 83, paragraph 2, such as the categories of personal data affected by the infringement and the turnover of the undertaking 
where the infringement occurred. Step 3 is to evaluate whether aggravating or mitigating circumstances apply. After having determined the starting point for calculating the fine, all circumstances are taken to take into account and weighed before determining the final fine to be imposed on the data controller or data processor. In this third step, the data protection authority should consider any aggravating or mitigating circumstances that relate to the past or present behaviour of the controller or processor. These circumstances are listed in Article 83, Paragraph 2 of GDPR and include, for example, the actions taken by the controller or processor to mitigate damage suffered by data subjects, as well as any previous GDPR infringements. Where applicable, aggravating and mitigating circumstances may result in an increase or decrease of the final fine. Step 4, then, is to identify what is the maximum fine that can be imposed. The maximum fine will depend on whether the infringement falls in Article 83, Paragraph 4 of GDPR, or Article 83, Paragraphs 5 and 6 of GDPR. If the infringement falls in Article 83, Paragraph 4 of GDPR, then it's subject to a maximum fine of €10 million, Euros, or in the case of an undertaking, up to 2% of the total worldwide annual turnover of the preceding financial year, whichever is higher. And infringements falling under Articles 83, Paragraphs 5 and 6 of GDPR are subject to a static maximum fine of €20 million, Euros, or, in the case of an undertaking, a maximum of up to 4% of the total worldwide annual turnover of the preceding financial year, again, whichever is higher. The draft guidance emphasises that the concept of undertaking, as developed by the Court of Justice of the European Union Competition Law, encompasses every entity engaged in economic activity regardless of the legal status of the entity, and the way it's its finance. The criteria for determining what constitutes an undertaking are based on the economic, legal and organisational links between the parent company and subsidiary, such as the level of participation, the personnel organisational ties, instructions and the existence of company contracts. While the EDPB makes a clear attempt to address that in many practical issues regarding dynamic maximum fines and maximum undertakings, many questions remain unanswered. For example, the EDPB referenced the ATSO presumption developed in the context of competition law. Under the ATSO presumption, where a parent company holds 100% shares or almost 100% shares in a subsidiary which has infringed GDPR and therefore is able to exercise decisive influence over the conduct of its subsidiary, a rebuttable presumption arises that the parent company does in fact exercise a decisive influence over the conduct of its subsidiary, including as regards the subsidiary's posting of personal data as a data controller and or as a data processor. The parent and subsidiary can therefore be considered to form a single undertaking for the purpose of calculating administrative fines. Although the EDPB notes that the ATSO presumption may be rebutted, it does not provide guidance on the circumstances in which it is possible to do so. Step 5 then, the final step, is analysing whether the calculated final amount meets requirements of effectiveness, dissuasiveness and proportionality. Where needed for compliance with requirements for the fine to be effective, dissuasive and proportionate, the Data Protection Authority can still adjust the fine, but only without exceeding the relevant legal maximum. This draft guidance is currently open for public consultation, but is expected to be adopted by the EDPB on June the 27th, 2022. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com A sole claimant on Tuesday filed a representative action lawsuit against Google and its artificial intelligence subsidiary DeepMind Technologies in the High Court of Justice of England and Wales for misuse of private information. The misuse arose from a data sharing arrangement between DeepMind and the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust. In 2015, DeepMind and the NHS announced a collaboration for developing Streams, an app which would streamline access to patient data for a faster and more accurate prognosis of acute kidney injury by doctors and nurses. 
However, the data sharing agreement revealed DeepMind was gaining access to five years' worth of confidential data on admissions, discharge and transfer, accidents, emergencies, critical care, pathology and radiology data on over 1.6 million patients covered by the NHS without their knowledge or informed consent. In 2017, the UK's Data Protection Watchdog, the ICO, found the data sharing agreement breached the Data Protection Act and sanctioned the NHS. The ICO's investigation was limited to the test version of streams and not the live version. It found DeepMind's use of patient data for testing the clinical safety of streams significantly differed from patients' reasonable expectations while providing NHS with their data for treatment. Moreover, it found that the processing of 1.6 million patient records was not necessary and proportionate to testing an app. Patients could not exercise their right to opt out of their data being used for streams. Doodle were able to avoid legal responsibility since the NHS was directly responsible for sending the patient data, confirmed to the media in August 2021 that it would decommission streams due to lack of interest from health services. The claimant, Andrew Prismal, stated he brought the suit to achieve a fair outcome and closure for all 1.6 million patients whose data was breached. A partner at Mistrondorea, the law firm representing Prismal, stated the claim could provide clarity to the, on the extent to which tech companies could access and make use of private health information. The lawsuit follows other legal actions revolving around tech and health in the UK and the US. Whilst this is a second such lawsuit announced by Mistron, DeepMind was at the centre of the US District Court class action suit against a similar data sharing agreement between Google and the University of Chicago Medical Centre in 2020. A lawsuit against deals the NHS struck with tech firm Palantir during the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in the government agreeing not to extend Palantir's contracts post-pandemic without further consultation. We will, of course, keep a close eye on this case as it proceeds through the Court of Justice and bring you updates as we have them here on the GPL Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Whilst we here in the UK and across, across the EU are now well used to carrying out data protection impact assessments under GDPR or UK GDPR, what about the situation stateside? What's happening over there? Well, in California, although the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018, did not include a requirement to conduct the data protection impact assessment, this requirement will be added by the CPRA effective in January 1st, 2023. The CPRA requires the California Attorney General to promulgate regulations requiring businesses whose processing and personal information presents significant risk to privacy and security to perform an annual cybersecurity audit and to submit to the California Privacy Protection Agency, the CPPA, on a regular basis a risk assessment with respect to processing and personal information. Subject to expected regulations, a data protection impact assessment required under CPRA must a. Indicate whether the processing involves sensitive personal information and b. Identify and weigh the benefits resulting from the processing to the business, the consumer, other stakeholders and the public against potential risk to the rights of the consumer associated with such processing with the goal of restricting or prohibiting such processing if the risk to the privacy of the consumer outweigh the benefits resulting from the process to the consumer, the business, other stakeholders and the public. So again, really like the balancing test that's performed in a data protection impact assessment under GDPR. If we travel then to Colorado, then effective on July the 1st, 2023, the Colorado Privacy Act prohibits processing that presents a heightened risk of harm to the consumer 
unless the controller first conducts a document to data protection impact assessment. Under the CPA, processing that presents a heightened risk of harm to a consumer includes targeted advertising, sales of personal data, processing based on the nature of profiling, which creates certain risks for consumers, including unfair or deceptive treatment, unlawful disparate treatment, financial injury, physical or other intrusion upon the solitude or seclusion, or the private affairs or concerns of consumers if the intrusion would be offensive to a reasonable person, and other risks, and processing sensitive data. As drafted, the CPA list above is not exclusive, and other processing activities could be determined to present high risk and therefore require a data protection impact assessment. The CPA requires that all DPIAs identify and weigh the benefits that flow from the processing of data to controller, consumer and other stakeholders, against potential risk to the rights of the consumer from processing. In performing the cost-benefit analysis, controllers should also consider the use of de-identified data and the reasonable expectations of consumers. The CPA also includes a broad mandatory disclosure where the State Attorney General seeks to evaluate the data protection assessment for compliance with the duties contained in Section 611308 and with other laws, including Article 1, the entire CPA, Nonetheless, the disclosure of a DPIA to the Attorney-General does not constitute a waiver of confidentiality or any attorney-client privilege or work product protection that might otherwise exist with respect to the assessment and any information contained in the assessment. And then moving to Virginia, like CPA, the VDCPA, effective again on January 1st, 2023, requires data controllers to conduct data protection impact assessments for any activities that present a heightened risk of harm to consumers. In this instance, DPIAs are required for the following processing activities, targeted advertising, sales of personal data, processing personal data for purposes of profiling which creates certain risks to consumers, including unfair or deceptive treatment, unlawful disparate treatment, financial, physical or reputational injury, physical and or other intrusion upon the solitude or seclusion, or the private affairs or concerns of consumers where such intrusion would be offensive to a reasonable person, and other risks processing any sensitive data, and any processing activities involving personal data that present a heightened risk of harm to the consumers involved. Unlike the CPA, under the VCDPA provides that the risk of reputational injury warrants the data protection impact assessment in the context of profiling. Although the VCDPA fails to define a heightened risk of harm, it is clear that a data protection impact assessment must identify and weigh the benefits that may flow directly and indirectly from the process into the control of the consumer, other stakeholders and the public against potential risk to the rights of the consumer associated with such processing as mitigated by safeguards that can be employed by the controller to reduce such risks. So again, very much like the balancing test under GDPR. A VCDPA also includes mandatory disclosure where the State Attorney General, in connection with an investigation, requests any DPIAs relevant to the investigation. While the Attorney General's disclosure is mandatory, the disclosure of a DPIA does not constitute a waiver of any attorney-client privilege or work product protection that might otherwise exist with respect to the assessment and any information contained in the assessment. Further, the disclosure will be deemed confidential and exempted from state public inspection and copying law. So it's interesting to see the state side the requirements for data protection impact assessments, and particularly the balancing test, are very similar to those required under GDPR. A message for estate agents now, which is fresh research, shows that in a world where our methods of communication are continually evolving, there's one grey area where the property industry is failing when it comes to GDPR compliance. 
The study undertaken by Your Business Number suggests that while 98% of property professionals believe they're fully GDPR compliant when it comes to customer communications, the vast majority are failing to take necessary steps when using instant messaging platforms and the use of WhatsApp in particular. WhatsApp is fast becoming the primary method of communication for many, both within professional and personal lives. In fact, almost a third, 28% of all property professionals, admit to using the app when communicating with their customers. When doing so, though, just 15% are using the WhatsApp business app, with 77% using a regular app and 8% using a mix of the two. Like any professional communication channel, the use of WhatsApp and data gathered must be GDPR compliant. This is far harder to do when using a regular WhatsApp app, however. Despite 14% of property professionals believing that using WhatsApp business automatically makes them GDPR compliant, this isn't the case either. WhatsApp developed their business-facing app to make GDPR compliance easier. And unlike the regular app, WhatsApp business does not request access to a user's contact information. It also allows businesses to provide initial double opt-in or a second automated message requesting consent, while providing information such as your company's privacy policy. However, these steps need to be implemented by the business, and those also include other requirements, such as allowing customers the right to be forgotten, while keeping a record of all the data obtained. It's also important to note that to be fully compliant, there must be a specific reference to WhatsApp communications within the company's GDPR policy, but doing so does not make your business compliant across other communication channels. Despite this, your business number found that 60% of the 790 property professionals surveyed stated that their company's opt-in consent did not specifically include the use of WhatsApp communication. Half of those surveyed also stated they did not provide an initial welcome message via the app clearly explaining how they use data or providing an opt-in option. And some 56% had also failed to offer a right to be forgotten above and beyond the consumer's ability to block them on the app. Meanwhile, 40% also stated they did not carry out these communications via a secure device, a secure network or both, and perhaps most worryingly, 89% stated their company did not record any of the personal data being obtained via WhatsApp. George Glenninger, co-founder of Your Business Number, said, GDPR compliance can be a minefield to navigate at the best of times, but when you add the fact that technology continues to rapidly evolve the way we communicate with our customer base, it's hardly surprising that many property professionals aren't completely aware of their obligations, particularly where the use of WhatsApp is concerned. It's fair to say that WhatsApp is becoming, for many, our second unofficial inbox, and it's a preferred method of communication for many customers and working professionals alike. So much so that they've created a business offering to better service this growing demand and to better enable GDPR compliance. At the same time, they now prohibit the use of their regular app for business purposes, which is a factor that many users are unaware of. While their business offering still requires some additional action from the users to ensure they are operating above board, it helps them streamline this process dramatically while allowing them to embrace what is likely to become one of, if not the primary method of customer communication for estate agents over the coming years. If you are in the property industry and you do use WhatsApp and you want to check whether you are GDPR compliant, then please do get in touch with us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The Spanish data regulator AEPD has hit Google with a 10 million euro fine for serious breaches of GDPR, which found it had passed information that could be used to identify citizens requesting deletion of their personal data under EU law, including their email address, the reasons given, and the URL claimed to a US-based third party without a valid legal basis for further processing. As well as being fined, Google has been ordered to amend its procedures to bring them into compliance with GDPR and delete any personal data it still holds relating to this enforcement. 
The APD announced the penalty, saying it was sanctioning Doodle for what it described as two very serious infringements related to transferring EU citizen status to third party without legal basis, and in so doing hampering people's right of erasure of their personal data under GDPR. The third party Doodle was deemed to be illegally transferring data to is the Lumen Project, a US-based academic project out of the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University, which aims to collect and study legal requests for the removal of online information by amassing a database of content takedown requests. The APD found that by passing the personal data of European citizens and requesting erasure of their data to the Lumen Project, Google was essentially frustrating their legal right to erasure of their information under GDPR Article 17, also known as the right to be forgotten. Incidentally, we always think this clause is mistakenly called the right to be forgotten. It's actually the right to request to be forgotten, because there are reasons why a company can refuse to delete data. In its decision, the APD says Google did not provide users who were requesting erasure of their data with a valid choice over their information being passed to the Lumen project, meaning that it lacked a valid legal basis for sharing the data. The regulator also criticised the form-based system Google devised for individuals to request erasure of their data for being confusing and requiring a selection option for their request, which it said could lead to it being treated under a different regulatory regime than data protection. And of course, GDPR does say for consent, for example, that consent must be as easy to withdraw as it is to give. The agency's decision states this system is equivalent to leaving Google LLC's decision as to when and when not GDPR applies, and this would mean accepting that this entity can circumvent the application of personal data protection rules, and more specifically accept that the right to erase personal data is conditioned by the content removal system designed by the responsible entity, the APD said. A Google spokesperson said they are assessing the regulator's decision. Google claims it's already taken steps to amend its processes, such as by reducing the amount of information it shares with Lumen for removal requests which come from EU countries. Google also suggests its general policy is not to share any right to erasure or right to be forgotten search delisting requests or any other removal requests in which data protection or privacy rights are invoked. But if that's the case, it's not clear why the APD found otherwise. In a statement, Google said, We have a long commitment to transparency in our management of content removal requests. Like many other internet companies, we have worked with Lumen, an academic project of the Harvard Berkman Science Center for Internet and Society, to help researchers and the public better understand content removal requests online. We are reviewing the decision and continually engage with privacy regulators, including the AEPD, to reassess our practices. We are always trying to strike a balance between privacy rights and our need to be transparent and accountable about our role in moderating content online. We have already started re-evaluating and redesigning our data sharing practices with Lumen in light of these proceedings. The APD has also ordered Google to urge the Lumen project to cease use of and erase any EU people's data which communicated to it without a valid legal basis, although ultimately Spain's regulator has limited means to force an un-UE-based entity to comply with EU law if it chooses not to. In this case, the Lumen project has deleted the data following a request by Google. In a statement, Lumen said the data within the Lumen database consists of copies of takedown notices that have been voluntarily shared with Lumen by the original senders or recipients of the notices. Google is one such recipient. Lumen's policy has always been that if the party that originally shared a notice copy with Lumen, in this case Google, requests that the notice be redacted or deleted, we will do so. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
to america now and the us cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency the cisa has issued an emergency advisory instructing all federal agencies to patch or remove a number of actively exploited vmware products a total of five different vmware services have been found to be vulnerable to a change attack that could lead to remote code execution and escalation of privileges to root. CISA said that these vulnerabilities pose an unacceptable risk to federal agencies and the situation required emergency action. The authorities' instructions are to either patch immediately or remove the affected products is mandatory for all federal agencies and highly advised for everyone in the private sector. It's currently unknown who is exploiting the VMware vulnerabilities, but CISA said it's likely to be an advanced persistent threat hacking group a type of group that's often backed by nation-states. A CISA incident response team has already been deployed to one large organisation that has reported evidence of an attack, and multiple other large organisations have also been affected. The affected VMware products are VMware Workspace ONE Access, VMware Identity Manager, VMware vRealize Automation, VMware Cloud Foundation, and vRealize Suite Lifecycle Manager. Two vulnerabilities in the affected products were patched on the 6th of April, although CSA said cyber attachers were able to reverse engineer these updates and start exploiting them within 48 hours after the update's release. Track to CVE 2022-22954 and CVE 2022-22960, the vulnerabilities are RCE and privilege escalation flaws with CVS SV3 severity scores of 9.8 and 7.8 respectively. VMware released patches for two additional vulnerabilities on Wednesday, tracked as CVE 2022-22972 and CVE 2022-22973. Federal agencies have been told to assess how many vulnerable VMware products they have running on their network and either apply VMware's patches or remove all the products until they can be patched. Agencies have also been told that if they have vulnerable products exposed to the internet, they should assume these have already been compromised and begin active threat hunting, reporting any abnormalities to the CISA. Agencies can reconnect products only if they found no anomalies and all the necessary updates have been applied. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you news about the new data reform bill, which was mentioned in the Queen's speech. But this week, BCS, the Chartered Institute for Information Technology in the UK, had its say on what it thought about the upcoming bill. Dr Sam De Silva, chair of the BCS's Law Specialist Group and Technology and Data Partner International Law Firm CMS, said what was in the Queen's speech in relation to the reform of data protection was not surprising. It was generally followed as the principles outlined in the government's consultation paper on reforms to the UK data protection regime, data in new direction. However, of course, the devil will be in the detail, which we do not have sight of yet. If that detail reveals that web cookie consent banners are to be removed, whilst that appears radical, organisations will still be required to comply with UK GDPR principles on lawfulness, fairness and transparency when using cookies or similar technologies. So whilst the change may mean it's easier to comply with PECA and would reduce some of the current cookie consent requirements, it'll be interesting to see what the position in the bill in relation to consent when cookies are used for marketing, real-time bidding or building profiles of users. The last recourse is where the majority of tracking activity by organisations is done. Of course, any material deviation the UK adopts in relation to data protection does risk its adequacy status, so I hope there will be a detailed and objective analysis undertaken to assess whether the benefits from UK's data reform outweigh the risks of not continuing to have adequacy status. 
Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Returning to America now, and Virginia-based Director Consumer Personal Lines Insurer Elephant Insurance reports that it experienced a cyber incident beginning in late March, and as of April 25th, its review had been able to identify consumers whose data may have been viewed or copied from its network. The company determined that the breach occurred between March 26, 2022 and April 1, 2022. The affected information includes names, driver's license numbers and dates of birth. The company did not disclose the number of affected persons. Elephant sells insurance in eight states, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Ohio, Tennessee, Texas and Virginia. The information either relates to current or previous elephant insurance customers or is information the firm received as part of providing a quote for auto or other insurance coverage. Elephant said it was providing information about the incident, its response and resources available to affected individuals including access to credit monitoring services. The company said it took prompt measures to secure its systems and investigate the incident. It said it has reported the event to federal law enforcement and is notifying appropriate state regulatory agencies. Elephant Insurance is a brand of Elephant Insurance Co, Elephant Insurance Services and Grove General Agency. Elephant is a wholly owned subsidiary of Admiral Group PLC, a UK-based insurance company. A massive data breach has exposed four years' worth of records of nearly half a million Chicago public school students and just under 60,000 employees, district officials. The attack targeted a company that had a no-bid contract with the school system for teacher evaluations and involved basic information, including students' date of birth, but no financial records or social security numbers. The district said there was no evidence the data had been misused, posted or distributed, but has offered affected families a year of credit monitoring and identity theft protection. The teacher evaluation vendor, Batal for Kids, was targeted in a ransomware attack on December 1, 2021, CPS was notified via a mailed letter on April 26 this year, but did not have specific information as to which students were affected, nor did CPS know that staff information was also compromised until May the 11th. CPS representatives said the district had begun informing affected families and staff, and would also notify those whose records weren't part of the breach to provide them with peace of mind. We are addressing the delayed notification and other issues in the handling of data with Betel for Kids, the district said. Betel for Kids informed CPS that the reason for delayed notifications to CPS was the length of time it took for Batal to verify the authenticity of the breach through an independent forensic analysis and for law enforcement authorities to investigate the matter. CPS includes strong language in all of our vendor contracts to ensure the protection and security of personal information. We are working to ensure all vendors who use CPS data are handling that data responsibly and securely in compliance with their respective contracts to prevent this sort of incident from ever happening again. Other breaches related to the hacking of Batal for Kids were identified in April at school districts in Ohio where private student data was revealed as far back as 2011. CPS said the breach was caused and exacerbated by BFK's failure to follow the information security terms of their contract, more specifically failing to encrypt data and purge old records. The district had not ended its contract with the company. Patel for Kids representatives said in a statement that the company immediately engaged the national cybersecurity firm to assess the scope of the incident and took steps to mitigate the potential impact. We have recently received their findings and notified all impacted school systems. In all, 495,448 students and 56,138 employee records were accessed from the 2015 to 2016 through to 2018 to 2019 school years. The data included students' names, school, date of birth, gender, CPS identification number, state student identification number, class schedule information and stores of course-specific assessments and used for teacher evaluations. Staff data access for those years included names, employee identification numbers, 
store and course information and emails and usernames. CPS said the breach server did not store any other records. There were no social security numbers, no financial information, no health data, no current course or schedule information, no home addresses and no course grades, standardised test scores or teacher evaluation scores exposed in this incident. The FBI and Department of Homeland Security have both investigated the breach and the company is monitoring and will continue to monitor the internet in case the data is posted or distributed, CPS said. CPS has never sought bids when awarding work to Patel for Kids, a relationship which began in 2012. Initially, the company was hired under then-CEO Jean-Claude Brizard, but has been retained by the four leaders who have helmed CPS since then. The most recent contract with CPS was signed in January, a month after the breach, but nearly four months before CPS says it was notified by CEO Pedro Martinez and Interim Chief Procurement Officer Charles Mayfield. It's supposed to top out at $90,058, for a year ending January 31st, 2023. Between 2012 and 2020, the Board of Education paid $1.4 million to the Ohio-based company, according to an online database of CPS vendor payments. The database didn't list 2021 or 2022 payments, and CPS officials haven't yet provided the information. Patel for Kids was hired to help district leaders conduct CPS's REACH teacher evaluation program. Teacher evaluation takes into account the growth in students' academic performance from year to year. According to documents voted on by the Board of Education in January, Patel is supposed to accurately link teachers to the students they teach and to whom they administered reach performance tasks. This is a requirement to produce accurate growth measures for teacher evaluation. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. To the Netherlands now, and 10 major Dutch online pharmacies violate GDPR requirements by setting an average of 23 non-necessary cookies without any user consent. The study also found that within the EU, 89% of the most significant online pharmacies do not meet GDPR requirements. Pharmacy webshops constantly process personal data of their visitors and customers while selling privacy-sensitive products such as antidepressants, diabetes medicines and products related to reproductive health, heart disease or addiction treatment. User centric scanned the 150 motors pharmacy web stores in the EU, analysing the extent to which website operators are complying with GDPR. The results were staggering. 89% of the most popular online pharmacies did not meet GDPR requirements with regard to obtaining end user consent before processing personal data through the use of cookies. 55% of all non necessary cookies were activated in use on the website's landing pages without any user consent and 62% of all cookies set without user consent are third-party marketing cookies. With consumers increasingly demanding enhanced data privacy from the companies they do business with, these results are particularly worrying for a privacy-sensitive sector. Tillman Harmeling, entrepreneur-in-residence of user-centric states, our deep-standing technology revealed major GDPR compliance failures across the privacy-sensitive online pharmacy industry and highlights the damaging effects on customer relations. In the four years since GDPR took effect, Data purposes evolved from an obscure legal requirement into a strong consumer demand and metric of brand reputation. Respecting end user consent through transparent and compliant use of cookies and trackers is therefore vital for any online business wishing to build customer trust. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye bye.